Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be together as the community of believers, to worship the Lord, to celebrate His goodness and greatness. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Gary, and I'm on staff here, and I get the honor and privilege to open up God's Word with you as we get the opportunity to gather, to study, to learn, and to grow in the likeness of Christ. I hope you're looking forward to this morning as much as I am as we get to dive into the Word. Before we do that, I just want to pray because I just feel this morning that I just want to take the time and invite the Lord to minister to our hearts and have the Spirit do the work in our lives. Nothing that I say, but what God is speaking to us. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you uh, that we are your people, that we get to know you and follow you. And this morning, Lord, as we open up your word and as um, we read it and study it and hear the spoken word, I pray that it would minister to our hearts, and it would work on us. So Lord, as we leave here today, we would grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I thank you for those who came before us and those who you gave this word to, to the church of Thessalonica. I pray that um, we would learn from it as they did many, many years ago. And so Father, may your spirit do a great work in us, and we love you in your name. Amen. If you haven't been around, we are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible or a tablet or a phone or if you have your little journal, I would encourage you to open it up to verse 4. Like we said, we've been in this journey the last few weeks studying this book, trying to understand more, and we get to this kind of pivotal point in chapter 4. And this is what the word says. It says, "...finally, then, brothers and sisters..." So verse 4, 1, finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you have received from us how ought to walk and to please God. So what I would do if I was marking up my Bible, I would circle the word finally. I think it's kind of a joke here to some extent, and this is what where all preachers learn to say, hey, I just have one more thought. Hey, just one more little point I got to make you... Finally, I'm coming to my conclusion because Paul says that and he still has two more chapters of instruction for you. So now you know where all the preachers get it from. He says, finally, and then he has a whole few more thoughts to give you. But here it is. It's switching in what's happening because he's been saying, hey, because of the gospel, because of the word of God, this is how it's impacted your life. Now I'm going to call you how to live. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, we ask you, we urge you, like we're encouraging you, you got to do this. Like this is what he's really passionate about. You and the Lord Jesus, that you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. This is what he's asking, is it how you ought to walk? So I think I would underline the word walk. And then how are we supposed to walk? We're supposed to walk in the, that, a way that pleases God. So a question you might be asking yourself, or that I think you should ask yourself, is how am I pleasing God with my life? Am I bringing honor to him? Am I bringing glory to him? Do I please God with the way I live? This idea of walk and live, we see interchanged in Paul's language as he writes his epistles. He says, live in a way that's uh, worthy of your calling in Colossians. Or earlier in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 said, live in a manner that is in, like, I guess, uh, in, this, in the same way that you are called to. I mean, he has this language. So here he's saying, hey, walk in a way, live in a way that pleases God. This is 
This is what we should be asking ourselves. How am I pleasing God? And just think about this. We're all, typically, we're trying to please someone. Whether it's our wife or our kids, we want to please them and make them happy. Maybe it's a boss or a teacher or a coach. I see this in my kid's life, especially in one of them. Like she has this deep desire to make her coach happy. And, and when the coach doesn't like respond that way to her, like she gets really down on herself because she just really wants to show, hey, I want to please you. Like all of us are typically trying to please someone in some way, but I'm wondering at the forefront of our minds, are we asking ourselves, how do we please God? Because he deserves it. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of our total life of surrendering to him and living for him. We learn in the Westminster Catechism, it says that the chief goal of man is this, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we want to do, we want to enjoy God and we want to bring glory to him. Um, the final words or some of Jesus' words that he, he gets to set up the church in John 8, he says this, for I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. I always do things that are pleasing to my Father. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. Colossians 2, uh, 5 through 9 says this, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. This is the aim of our life. I love this word aim because it kind of says we're pointing towards something. There's an intentional target we're trying to hit. And so today, as we study the text, as we continue to work through, my prayer is that our aim would be to please God. That's what we want to do. We want to please God with our lives in the way that we ought to live. So here we go back to verse one here, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just you are doing, that you do so more and more. So this is not a one-time thing. This is not something that you just do and it's done. We're doing it more and more and more. That's what he's asking us to. It seems like in this letter that the church is already doing all these things. And so he's encouraging them more and more to live this out. It's not like they're ignoring the instructions that he's given them or that they're, they're, they haven't heard these things. It's he sees in his life, he's heard them in his life, and he's just wanting to spur them on to continue to do it because they're so important to please God. So he's saying, hey, more and more we do this. We also see down here in verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This idea of more and more in sanctification really kind of uh, become like the same idea or thought. I want to just take a minute, because this is a big theological concept that Paul just drops right here in this text, is this is for your sanctification. So I wanted to explain this term so we have a better understanding what's, what's here, and I want to do it with kind of three different terms that we see as we study the Scripture. We see this idea of justification, sanctification, and glorification. And as we study God's word, we'll see these terms pop up, and sometimes we just don't have an understanding of what they are. And they're referring to who we are as followers of Christ and our journey with Jesus. So someone who has been justified, that means they've been made right with God. So we are justified when we um, 
We surrender our lives, we trust in Jesus, and we put him first, and he is now our salvation. At that moment, you have been justified. You have been made right. You are holy at that moment. The great part of that is that like, you can never be more holy than being holy. Yet, at the same time, we want to be in process of growing in the likeness of Jesus. That's sanctification, is that we're becoming a little bit more like Jesus each and every day. So if you want to flip over to Romans 8, starting in verse 29, says this. For those whom he forth knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this process of sanctification is to conform to the likeness of Jesus. So he's justified us, and then we're conforming to that likeness of Jesus so one day we can be glorified, be put in that, that state where we are made right and we can be in the presence of God our Father, that we'd be glorified with him. We kind of see that glorif- glorification state as Jesus returns back to earth. So this is the progression of our spiritual life. At salvation, we are justified, we are made right, Sanctification is us trying to conform to the likeness of Christ, growing more and more each and every day, doing what he says so that we are taking steps towards spiritual maturity. And then glorification becomes this time when we're with Christ forever and we're in this new state. Now, the, the way I kind of like to think about it, or I love this quote that Max Lucado, Max Lucado has. He says um, that Jesus loves me just the way I am but he refuses to leave me that way. He wants me to be just like Jesus. So God loves me just the way that I am. He refuses to leave me that way. He wants me to be just like Jesus. A way I like to think about and describe it is um, when my oldest child, Emma, was born, at that moment, I became a father. Nothing could take that away from me. So I was justified, I became a father in that moment. Now, from the time Emma was born over 17 years ago, I've been growing to become a better father, hopefully a little bit each and every day. Now, the reality of becoming a good father and the reality of our spiritual life probably looks a little bit the same. We have some really good days and some really rotten days as a parent, and we kind of take steps back and it doesn't look so good. But am I ever not a father? I am always her father no matter what. And I'm growing to become a better father so I can love her. This is where Paul's encouraging the church. Hey, you've been made right with me. You've heard these things. I just want to encourage you more and more because here's the truth. The culture wants nothing you to do nothing with them. And, and not even the culture, the enemy wants you not to do anything with them. doesn't want you to live this way. And so I am encouraging you to continue to live this way more and more more so that you would be sanctified. Okay, back to 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll pick it up here. For you know the instructions, the the things we've been telling you, 
that you gave through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you, okay, here's where it's going to get real this morning. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, so a lot of the times we hear, what's the will of God for my life? Hey, can you tell me the will of God for my life? I want to know like who I'm supposed to marry, what job I'm supposed to have, uh, where I'm supposed to live. Should I have two cars or six cars? You know, we're asking the Lord, what is the will of God for my life? And on many things, it's not clear, but there are a few things and a few key passages that the Lord says, this is my will for your life. And so when someone says, what's God's will for my life? Well, here's one of them that we're going to talk about. There's also another one in Ephesians 5 where he says, hey, do not be drunk or jump into debauchery. Don't do that. That is my will for your life. Later on in 1 Thessalonians 5, um, I think it's 16, or rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right, says, um, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. This is the will of God for your life, right? This is, this is what God's will is for your life. And here in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is God's will for your life, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Well, let's talk about this term a little bit. What is sexual immorality? immorality. I would circle this, box it, whatever you need this, this term. This term is a very um, general term. It's, it's pornea is the, the term that's used here, and it encompasses a lot. We get the word pornography from it, um, promiscuity from it, fornication. This is all what's happening here. So when he says sexual immorality, it's encompassing a variety of things in this statement because a lot of times you'll hear the bible's just not really clear on my sexuality well the reality is the bible's really clear and it's been from the very beginning what god's plan for human sexuality is and it's one man one woman one lifetime that's the that's god's ultimate plan is that we would leave our father and mother we would cling to one another and we would become one flesh. So anything outside of that becomes sexual immorality. Now when we hear that, when I hear that, when I start thinking about that, I just think about my own life and what I've been through, the ways that I've blown it, and it's like, wow, there's probably not a single one of us in this room that is held to that standard. Jesus even defines it a little further Right and, and Matthew, when he's talking on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he says this, hey, here's what adultery is. If you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you have committed adultery. So sexual immorality is something that God is calling us to abstain from. And in our culture today, I think is very similar to what was happening in the day here. Like, Remember, he's writing this from Corinth, and Corinth was like a modern-day Vegas, where kind of it seems like anything goes, and, and any way you want to live was totally fine, and you just, whatever makes you feel good, do it. And then he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, which is a very wealthy, well-off town who was indulging in their practice as well. And in the Greco-Roman time, 
the, the thought would have been that a man would have been able to step out of his marriage and, and experience the, the freedom that he wanted to, but the woman would have been um, expected to remain faithful at this time. And so it was this messed up word, world. And so Paul is talking to the church and he's saying, I need you to be different because God has set it up to, for you to live a different way. And the way that we're going to live differently is that you are going to abstain from sexual immorality. He goes on. He goes on to say more than just sexual immorality here in in verse 3, that each of you would know how to control his own body. So that we would abstain from sexual immorality, but you would also be able to control your body from from control his own body in holiness and honor. This word holiness is that you are set apart, that you are different. And he goes on to say, and not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He makes a very important distinction with this phrase right here, that those who know God, who follow God, who have been set apart, who are holy, they live one way. Those who do not know God, they don't have that same expectation because they don't have the spirit living within them and working on their heart and working in their lives. So here's the will of God for your life. Here's what God is calling you to. Here's what he's saying, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that you would control your own body, and that you would not partake in the passions of the culture that you are living in. That you would not live like everyone else. That you would live different. So our aim is to be pure. Our aim is to be sexually pure. We aim to please God in our purity. That is our desire. That is our hope. That is what we are longing for. That is what we are working towards. Now, as a friend, as a pastor, as I share this with you, I also want you to know that, man, there is forgiveness for those who have, who have broken this, for those who are continuing to break this, for those who are not doing the things that they need to do with their sexual life. Like God is the great forgiver and the redeemer, and he wants to, to restore you. I just encourage you to take that before God and say, Lord, I need help. I want to be made right. I need to work on these things with you because I want to please you. I want to please you because you are God and you are worthy of my entire life. And so the question I started out with this morning was, hey, how is it that you're pleasing God? Are you asking God, how do I please you? Another question, wherever you are in your life, whether you are a student in the room, whether you are... um, divorced in the room, whether you are married in the room, whether you've never been married in the room. And it's a question that I don't know if I've really asked myself, but Lord, how do I please you in my sex life? How do I please you with my sexuality? I think this is a really important question that would bring honor to the Lord, is how do we give honor to God with our sex life? Because he created it. 
And he said it was good. And he asked us to enjoy it and to, to be loving in that loving, committed relationship with our husband and our wife. That is where you can be pure. And, and that is where our aim should be, is to please God in our sexuality. Now as well, when we sin sexually, he gives us a couple of truths that I want us to pay attention to in this text. So he says this uh, back in six, that no one turns, sorry, we'll start in five, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As you were told you before, as, as we were told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit. So a couple of things that I notice in this, when you sin sexually, it impacts others. Now, I know that that doesn't seem like always the case, like, ah, it's just me, it's private, that's not true. If you are promiscuous before marriage, someday that person's going to be someone else's spouse and you're impacting your brother that way or your sister that way. Or when you indulge in, in what you think is private online and you're like, ah, oh, no one's going to know. Well, that's someone's child or that's someone's sister or brother and it impacts them. Like, it's not just between you and God, it's between you and someone else. And so when you say, ah, oh, this isn't going to impact anyone else, it does. And we don't want to take these things to our spouse. And so God is saying, hey, I want you to know when you go down this way, when you live this life, it has consequences, not just with me, but with others as well. Now, it also has consequences with God. And we see in the story of God many, many different stories where people fall that there are significant consequences for people who step in, into these situations. I think in my world, and I watch, I watch men who, who, who shepherd flocks and they fall sexually and what it does to the church, what it does to the kingdom of God, it's impacts them because sexual sin we need to take seriously we see it in god's word just even the impacts that it had on david's life who was a man after god's own heart so this is real it's something that's happening and it's something that we need to abstain from that we need to control our bodies and we not give ourselves over to the passions of our time of the gentiles of our culture this is how we please God. Our aim should be in our purity. When we, our aim should to please God in our purity. The next section is this, starting in eight. The great part in the last part of seven is that this is nothing that man is saying, friends. Like this is not that I'm saying this is the truth. This is what God's word tells us. This is what God's word is giving us. It's not man's word. But it's regarding. So when you ignore it, you're not ignoring man. You're disregarding God. The good news is he gives you the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. 
And that's the encouragement today. It's that I'm, I'm not sharing with you anything you probably don't know or haven't heard, but my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would do a good work in each of us and that we would please God in our purity. Verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So this is the work that's happening, is that we are called to not only um, please God in our purity, but we're also called to please God in our love for one another. I think that's one of the greatest things the church can do is that we would learn to love people unconditionally. This word here is the Greek word that is agape love, for that you um, yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, that you would care for one another, that you would bind with one another, that you would carry their burdens, that you would love those who don't love you back that we would be a community of believers who would love those who don't know God unconditionally. unconditionally. And I think about it all the time, the way people hurt me and the way people um, do things or say things, um, that it's, it's painful and it's hard to continue to love those who don't love you back. But this is the call of our life, that we would aim to please God in our love for one another. And friends, this is what I've learned over the years, that when we do this with nothing and expecting anything in return, it, um, it blesses an unbelieving world. Have you ever done something ra- random for a neighbor just because you wanted to demonstrate God's love? Or have you ever um, like, did something for a coworker because you wanted to demonstrate to them what, what God has done for you? Right? We see this in like 1 John 4, 7, and 8, that like we are called to love others, and if we don't love others, do we even love God ourselves is the question. And so my question to you is, do you love other people? So a couple questions you can think about as you leave here today. Hey, do I want to live a life that pleases God? Do I want my, sec- does, do I want my sexuality to please God? And do I love other people? So our aim is to please God with our sexuality. Our aim is to please God with our love. And then the last one I would say this is our aim, finally, right? Our aim is to please God with our lifestyle or our life. Look at these last three phrases here that we have. For indeed, that is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. It's that same thing earlier. Hey, we want to continue to grow in these areas. We want to continue to do this better. We want to continue to get right with God. We want to continue to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So we want to do this with our life. The way we live our lives is we want to aspire to live quietly. We live a quiet life. We're not making a lot of ruckus. We want to mind our own business, and we want to work hard. This is how we demonstrate to an unbelieving world that our lives have been changed. We don't want to be a burden on anyone when we have the skills to live a life. And so we want to please God in all that we do. 
We want to give him glory and honor because of who he is. And I think that we do this by doing his will, by growing more and more, by living a life that, is, that aims to please him by being pure, by living a life that aims to please him by loving others, by living a life that aims to please him and how we live, period, so that we would walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The goal is to please God, and by pleasing God, I believe we demonstrate how he's impacted our life. I think about this in in the softball community that I'm a part of with my kids, and I get to spend time. The coaching staff has let me kind of hang out with them and be a part of them over the last few years, and they think I'm really different and strange because I don't partake in the same things they do. And it's, it's really hysterical at this point because anytime they use foul language around me, they apologize. And they're like, oh, you... And then they ask questions like, well, why don't you say these words? And I'm like, I, I just don't need to. It doesn't, it, it doesn't help me grow as a person. And they're curious because they don't understand why they would do that. And when I make mistakes... I will quickly apologize and say, ah, hey, I didn't follow through. I knew I said I would do that. Or, okay, I'm going I'm to share with you what happened this week and be full honest. I was pitching to a kid, and this kid rocketed a ball back. It hit my hand, and like just I thought I had shattered my hand, and one of those inappropriate words came out of my mouth in that moment. Now, I don't know if anyone heard what I said, But I later found the two kids were in that drill with me, and I apologized to them. And the coaches thought I was crazy that I would, they're like, why would you apologize? I said, because I I don't want to represent myself. I don't want to represent who God is and how he's changed my life. I want to do it in a way that like shows you that my life has been transformed. And friends, I don't have it fully figured out. I'm in the same place you are. I'm hoping that my life will please God. That's what I want to do every day is wake up and say, Lord, how do I please you a little bit more each and every day? I want to do this more and more and more. I want to do it in my purity, and I fail at times. I want to do it in my love for others, and I fail at times. I want to do it in the way that I live, and I fail at times. But Lord, the the posture of my heart is is to bring you pleasure because that's the goal of my life is to bring you glory because you are worthy. Now, this morning, I just want to take some time of personal reflection that we would allow the Word of God to transform our hearts in the quietness and the stillness of where we are and just get things right with the Lord, that we would look through the Word of God, that we would look through the text and and what was spoken here and say, Lord, what do you have in store for me? What do I need to get right? And so we're going to just be quiet and we're going to sit with the Lord And then we're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing out. But I just want to take some time to allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and that we would ask the Lord to help us get right with Him as we leave here this morning. Let's go before the Lord.
as the worship team begins to make their way up, would we just prepare our hearts to respond to the Lord this morning? Father God, we come to you as broken people in desperate need of a Savior, knowing that we continue to miss the mark, Lord. And Lord, we don't want to. Father, we want our lives to demonstrate a life that has been transformed by the gospel and that has been set apart because that's what you have called us to, that we would be holy because you are holy, Lord God. And Father, we confess our our shortcomings this morning. We confess the ways that we have let you down. And Lord, we ask that you would restore us and that you would redeem us and you would reconcile us and that you would make us right again. And Lord, it's so good to know the promises and the hope that we have that if we confess our sins that you are faithful and just and will forgive, Lord. And Father, I pray for us as a church and that our aim and our desire would be to please you. Lord, I pray that for all of us in this room that we would walk away here today having this deep desire to please you in all that we do, to please you when we head back to school, to please you when we are with our spouse, to please you when we're at work, to please you when we're out with our friends, to please you in the private, in the public, and in all spheres of our lives, Lord. God, our desire is to bring you glory and to enjoy you forever, Lord. Father, I pray your word would transform our lives and nothing that I said here this morning, Lord, but what the Spirit is doing in our own lives. Father, we love you in your name. Amen.